on today's episode, why is it so hard to run pain-free with Matt Phillips? Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Excited to always bring you my guests that I have on, but I I think this one is just that little bit more exciting. I love Matt Phillips. I've been following him for a long time. He is the host of the Run Chat Live podcast, and <clears throat> while he hasn't put out new episodes recently, I think he has plans to start again. But there's a ton in his backlog if you haven't had a listen. Uh, he is a running injury and performance specialist. He was a past SNC coach, um, sports therapist, very long in the game and has kept his finger on the pulse for up-to-date evidence the entire time and has really changed uh, how he practices and how he thinks about running injuries and how he works with his runners. Um, <clears throat> we touched base on it a little bit, with, but just for a bit of clarification, in the last couple of years, he's hosted a Run Chat Live international running conference where he gets a lot of expert guests from around the world to come onto stage and talk. The first one two years ago was live um, in England, and the second one was a virtual conference, and I have purchased both of those and gained a lot of knowledge. A lot of his guests, or well, a fair few of his guests have actually been guests on this podcast, so so it's good to see we're mingling with the right people and the top tier people, top tier researchers and health professionals. So we're all clear on like where the evidence lies and where confusion lies and where misunderstandings may happen. So today we're going to talk about why it is so hard to run pain-free. We delve into um, what health professionals might be misguided on and then we delve into the the mindset of the runner. Is there anything there? We talk about not only why is it so hard to run pain-free and run without getting injured, but also once you are injured, why is it so tough for some people to return to running pain-free? So a whole bunch of different angles at answering the same question. And it was pretty much just Matt Phillips and I just having a casual conversation, bouncing ideas off one another. So the style and the, I guess, the casual nature is a little bit different on this one. But let's get underway with the interview. If you haven't listened to Run Chat Live, uh, please give it a listen. It is tailored slightly more towards health professionals. So the terminology and the jargon um, is tailored for a health professional, but runners themselves will take a lot away from it. A few things, maybe like 5 to 10% of the content might go over your head, but you'll take away 90% of the content because anyone can understand it. I always think Matt Phillips is a little bit more charismatic and his vocab is a little bit more eloquent, and so it's nice to listen to. So go ahead and check it out, and check out his um, website, Run Chat Live, and he talks about a, f- a couple of other social media things and his runner's guide, which you'll talk to at the end. All right, let's take it away. It's a real honor. Matt Phillips, welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. How are you today? I'm good, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me along. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Like I said, it's a real pleasure. I have uh, listened to your podcast for a very long time now, and it's actually modeled a lot of what my podcast has and like the outlines that I have and the purpose that I have, because you and I are both in agreement that there are a lot of misconceptions out there and we just need to get it to the right people. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with you, can you maybe just give uh, an intro into the work that you're doing and how you've got there? Yeah. So I've um, originally strength and conditioning coach, um, ended up 
working particularly with distance runners because that was my passion and uh, started off realizing that a lot of what we were being told, particularly back in kind of early 2000s, a lot of what I championed when it all came out was kind of slowly changing. So basically in, in a nutshell, I'm old and I've seen a lot of stuff come and go and I've kind of mellowed to the idea that things do evolve and we have to evolve, especially as kind of healthcare professionals. But also that the interesting thing is since I've started and 20 years before running injuries haven't really come down. So I'm, I'm very clear on this problem that the message isn't getting through there and trying to work out why, who's, is there anyone to blame or is it a mixture of factors? But the fact that you with such a great show and such a great history exist and me and a plenty of other people putting out some great quality, we're all kind of here saying and doing our stuff, but there's still, you know, plenty and plenty of runners making the same errors, getting injured, not enjoying themselves. So there's still something we need to fix. And that's, yeah. I guess, what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. I think even in just my time, and now I graduated 10 years ago, and even just my practices in the last five years have dramatically changed as I keep my finger on the pulse of what the evidence is showing and what um, listening to conferences that, like, say, you put on with a lot of really um, world-renowned researchers who are very up-to-date with uh, the current practices and the right education, the right advice to, to give to runners. Um, yeah, it changes. It changes quickly. And so I could imagine in your career, it's um, almost done a 180 in a lot of the cases. And it's good that you have that frame of mind to actually change how you practice based on the evidence that comes out. Because I do see a lot of professionals who have been in the game a long time that they actually do the opposite and they kind of double down on their beliefs and kind of push away all the people who are trying to come up with these new emerging um, ideas. And they just, yeah kind of become more defensive and they just never change. Um, have you seen that as well with some professionals? Yeah, definitely. It really boils down in the, the day to the old knowledge is great, but it's the application of the knowledge, which is so important. So there's plenty of the knowledge is out there and people can read it, but it's what you do with it. And I think especially in the last couple of years, since the last conference I did a year ago, I mean, there was, there was some amazing minds in there and it was all online. So we're chatting away. And at the end of it, I felt a little bit guilty because we were coming up with such great quality stuff. There was Matt Fitzgerald there and people were popping in saying hi, like Jeff Escoulier and Greg Lehman. Um, Kevin Maggs was speaking on it. Um, there, was, there was fantastic people on it. But at the end, celebrating it, I was thinking how much this information is actually getting to the runner? Is this going to help any runners out there tomorrow? <laughs> and hand on heart, I thought, no, we just spend two days kind of talking amongst ourselves when we're all on the same page anyway. And I actually felt a little bit, I've got to change this somehow. This is not what I wanted to do. I want to help the runners. And I personally think there's enough information out there for therapists like yourself and me to, to evolve and get on with it and, and do something good. But it's the problem is getting the message through to the runners. And part of it, I mean, even this morning, I looked up um, some of the big, well, one of them in particular, I won't mention the name, but the big shoe industry, the kind of shoe providers, I'd, I'd like to check on their website what they're putting out there. And still on their shoe finder, bam, it said something like, did you know that 70% of runners are getting injured because of the shoes they're wearing? Now that wow. for me hmm. should be made illegal. I mean, that is like, we've had, certain companies take into court but we don't even know what the relationship between shoes and injury is we don't know why some people put on one shoe and they're great and other people put on the same shoe and they've got more or less the same training habits and and they get injured so yeah. for a major shoe company to suddenly put that on their opening shoe finder screen is is part of the problem but to address that to address the big companies who already kind of got their models and that's the way that kind of cash flow comes it's up to therapists having the skills to kind of educate the runners without making the runners feel stupid. Um, I like the way you, and I think a few other people that I will follow aren't using the word myth anymore. When I started, it was all about myths. And I kind of realized after the conference, I was saying, if you tell a runner that this is a myth, overpronation is a myth, you may as well say to them, like, you believe in Santa Claus, don't you? you know, or you believe in fairies. It's mm. not a great way to educate someone by saying to them, oh, look, you believe in something which is like running at the end of your garden. So yeah. I don't, little things like that, understanding that 
runners need to feel confident and secure that you're not kind of just coming up with something brand new. You're not trying to make a buck out of something revolutionary. It's not that at all. I think runners have lost a lot of faith in um, in therapists because they just think we're out to make some money. And also a lot of the time runners, when they do go and see therapists, a lot of the information given to them doesn't work. Therapists mm. are celebrating the times that do work, thinking, oh, yeah, this particular technique worked. My needling worked. My cupping worked. Um, this worked. But therapists have got this confirmation bias where they forget about probably the 50% of runners where these things didn't work and they weren't asking the right questions. So there's there's a lot we can work on. And I think having people like you and me chatting and, and getting this information out there, podcasts are really good. Runners love listening to something. It's less violent than having someone in your face. Mm. Um, I think it's a good good um kind of conduit of getting information out there but it's how you the, frame it the i think the reason i don't know why i've used myth in the past because i have used it in various blogs and um on social media and things i think i use it because it's more eye-catching like it just captures Definitely. more attention um and it sounds a bit more revolutionary to like get eyeballs there but i totally agree the language that we use is really powerful and we need to be really careful with how we use it and talking about say on shoe company websites when they post things like 70% of runners are injured because they're not wearing the right shoe. We as therapists have to go up against these multi-million billion dollar companies that aren't necessarily highly regulated like we are and the things that we can say. And it seems like it's an uphill battle for us. It seems like we're not really going to win, but we're winning some people over. And when you're talking about the conference and saying that, Oh, did I actually get the right information to runners? Maybe not, but the I've watched every like talk that was given on that conference and learning that information and then relaying it to my audience, the, the information's getting there, it's trickling down. So you can have some positive takeaway from it because I'll be a, a direct example of that. Um, but I think we I think what we discuss is New evidence is emerging, um, you know, papers getting brought out left, right and centre, but runners are still getting injured at the same rate, uh, while runners are still getting injured at a very high rate. Why, why do you think that's the case? I, I tend to start off all presentations with that. Um, and I think indeed I did in the conference, I brought it up and there was a few kind of um, replies that I wasn't quite sure about. But yeah, for anyone who's not aware, then there have been some studies. The one I typically quote is the um, Bruno Saragiotto study, who I think he's from Brazil, but via Australia. He's part of the Hunter Medical Research Institute. But he brought out a study in 2014, um, which was talking about the, the belief patterns of runners. Um, and, and he just highlighted that of, of the sample he had, things like not stretching enough, um, that was a big cause of injury, they believed wearing the wrong shoes, um, there was just it just showed that there's a lot of beliefs out there which which we know when we look at the evidence um, are either very low down on the evidence level or some of them just plain wrong. And and other studies have been, I mean, a shout out for Manuela Bessomi as well, again from Australia. Australia's produced some great people these days. What's up with very Australia? Proud to be Australia. <laughs> very, very proud. It's a good time. So yeah, the lovely Manuela Bessomi. Um um, who works for the, uh, she's uh, doing a, a PhD at the university in Queensland. She did a study recently on the development of running profiles. And again, it involved having a big, large population and seeing what beliefs were. And it still came up. It's evident that the majority of runners um, do have some beliefs which are misdirecting their attention. So not only are they doing something which is probably not going to help them, but it means they're probably not spending enough time doing something else. So all of these studies kind of show that the job of a therapist needs to be educating more than anything. And I think this is where the crutch of the problem lies, because, for example, I, I was speaking recently to a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Stewart of nopain.co.uk, no as in K-N-O-W. And he's an expert in education, he his master's in education, and he specializes now um, in helping people understand pain. He worked with the late, great Louis Gifford. And, and he, one of the things he does is he, I mean, he speaks to thousands of people and he'll get maybe 2000 people to say, okay, who is a therapist? Bam, massive sea of 2000 hands go up. He goes, fantastic. Right. How many out of you have actually done a teaching qualification? And maybe two go up. And, and they're like, well, we're not teachers, are we? And that's kind of a big conversation which people need to have. If we realize now that our skill as therapist is not so much in, the, in what we do with our hands, 
and this particularly goes out to to some of the professions where a focus is a lot on what we do with our hands and manual therapy if we understand now that it's more what comes out of our mouth and our ability to listen with our ears that changes everything we do it means we need to learn how to be teachers now we need how we need to learn how to answer different or ask different types of questions to extract the information to allow the patient or client in front of us to to find a way to explain what's going on because it's that old thing isn't it if, if you listen to a patient enough then they'll tell you what's wrong with them and then if you listen even more they'll tell you how to fix them and i love that saying we use it a lot now because it is all about the subjective it's all about giving the runner time to actually explain what's going on, because that's where the answers lie. We, we as therapists just focus too much. As soon as they walk in and say, there's something up with my knee, um, bam, we're just looking at the knee and we're thinking, oh, well, I need to do this. I need to flick this. I need to touch that. I need to do this special test. And we haven't even asked yet, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? What do you think it is? How worried are you about it? Do you know anybody else who's had this done to them? All these kind of what we call yellow flags really probably give us all the answers. And there's this big problem where, therapists one don't know how to educate and 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 that's not having a go at therapists it's the courses therapists do don't teach you how to teach now the majority of courses out there are still very much this is how you fix someone it's still very much that kind of you're an operator as sylvanel and jacobs would say rather than helping therapists become a facilitator um somebody who's going to listen and, and work with the runner so we know what we need to do there's an awful lot of information out there but it's you're right. There is a struggle against what the big companies are doing, but that's always going to be there. I think it's used a little bit as an excuse. I think together as therapists, we need to kind of communicate and learn how to talk a bit better, not just to patients, but to each other, to be less competitive, to kind of support each other and not feel challenged when one of our colleagues says, you know what, you know what you're saying about blah, blah, blah with your patient. Have you ever thought about it this way? You know, without making the therapist think, oh, my God, were you challenging my 10 years of practice here? Cause it's not like that at all. I guess that's an interesting point because it's coming from this podcast where most of the audience are runners. It's not very assuring to know that the therapists, like they're going to health professionals for answers. They're going to health professionals to get them better or help them prevent injuries. And what you're saying is like a lot of the health professionals aren't really hitting the mark. So from a runner's perspective, what can they do? Is it all about asking the right questions or trying to find the right health professional? Because they go looking and they find answers, but the answers might just be back on those misguided, um, like you said, misdirecting attention um, from the important things. So as runners, what can they do? That's a really good question. I think that's part of the solution as well. I think by runners getting a little bit more clued up, I think runners if they go to a therapist and the therapist starts saying oh yeah the problem is yeah i've just seen you walk from the door to here and you're over pronating if people like you and myself manage to get through the runners and show you know what the link between over pronation or even what is over pronation is is old school language and that suggests that the person who you're paying your money and giving your time and to is not really clued up I don't want to help make anybody lose money, but I think if you're in the healthcare profession, it's your duty to make sure that you're up to date. So if you start having runners and patients kind of like not coming back to you, then you're going to start thinking, oh my God, my takings are down. What am I going to do? Because at the end of the day, the only thing which drives and change the quickest is money. If anybody starts losing money, they're going to start thinking, oh, geez, what are we going to do? I've got to change something. So it's almost as if I think if we can get through to runners and give them a few little alarm bells of this person you're seeing might not be kind of up to date. You better go and look elsewhere. And that's quite easy to do with, 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 with when, when, when a runner is seeing a, a professional, um, then that could change the industry quite quickly. I think it's already happening to a certain extent. I like to think that we've been banging on about overpronation for a long time now. And we've had the greats like Bartold and Griffiths and talking about it. And, and apart from this one shoe company, which drives me mad, other shoe companies have taken overpronation off their websites the wet foot tests and all that and runners are getting a little bit more clued up to it but um yeah runners need to realize that we don't have all the answers um humans are not cars it's not the same as taking a car to a garage where it might be complicated but if the person's got the book they can fix it um humans are complex as opposed to complicated and i think that's an interesting kind of concept for runners and therapists to get their head around. I think Todd Hargrove, um, Hargrove, he's, he kind of summed it up the best 
with the idea that if you you get a car and you take one of the wheels off, it's not going to go anywhere. But if you look at a dog and it loses one of its legs, it might have a little bit of discomfort, but eventually it's going to be running around like anybody. Um, and that's, I think it was Todd Hargrove who came up with that. Originally, a few people have said it, but that kind of sums it up. Humans are complex and nobody can assume to understand um, everything about humans. There's so many factors which cause pain and niggles, and that explains why some of us suffer and others don't. So it's perfectly cool. And runners should expect when they go and get help to have Hamzi, to have somebody umming and ahhing and going, you know what? I'm not quite sure, but this is what it sounds like. Let's have a go at this. These are the jigsaw bits you've given me. We've talked for ages. I've had a look at your running. Um, let's put it together and try this. And if it doesn't work, then don't worry. It means we can kind of funnel it down to the problem. That's fine. That's what the conversation needs to be. And it should always be with humans because we don't have all the answers. That would help a lot. It would stop runners thinking that, I'm going to get fixed. I'm going to just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Jump on the couch and they're going to change my tire because that's like, it's not humans are not that simple, fortunately. Otherwise, it'd yeah. be a terrible world. I've had an idea for a long time now to um, put together an episode around how to find a good health professional, like how to find the the right health professional for you. And um, we'll do that another time. We don't need to discuss about that, but um, it's almost worth. Um, I've been in that environment before. I've been in private practices where they push for sales or push for revenue or retention and all those metrics, all those numbers. And you're sort of like, not forced, but like encouraged to sell, sell orthotics, sell these shoes, sell whatever. And I think people can, if they're seeing a health professional, like that health professional could just be in that mode um, of like just everyone else that's been in that same, had that same knee pain. Um, they just go through the motions when if you, if a runner comes in, slightly more educated or slightly more updated with the information and they're asking the right questions to the health professional and they're, they're asking, you know, I thought the evidence says this, or, you know, I've heard this, um, is this evidence-based just asking the right questions. It can almost pull the health professional up on their toes a bit and like encourage them to, you know, start like break that pattern, like a pattern interrupt a little bit and get them to start um, focusing on other aspects and sort of make it more holistic or make it, you know, just get them out of that, that motion. Would you agree? Definitely. Yeah. I think it's one of the angles of helping the healthcare profession. I think actually, I know it's been like in, in Australia, but in the UK with, with COVID-19 forcing kind of more online consultations, um, that's really helped because I think I've been doing, I was doing them before, but I think it's helped other therapists. One, it's helped the therapist realize I can help this person without putting my hands on them, which is part of the problem. And two, the actual runners themselves and, and other people suffering from pain have understood I can be helped by actually listening to somebody and talking it through. You know, therapists have been forced to actually ask the questions, do a bigger subjective where they ask the questions and talk about case histories. And and that, and, and runners have seen that's helped. I mean, that all of my online consultations generally are sorted um, by talking it through, looking at training habits, asking the right questions. Occasionally, I'll need to see someone face to face or refer them out to somebody. But in the majority of cases, as a therapist, it's all about I don't even like the word educating. because It takes a lot of people back to school, but just working through it together. We've got the mm. experience as therapists where we've worked with lots of people and, and we know we should know that when someone comes to us for help, we're working with that runner as opposed to working with a running injury. That's the massive difference. To quote Greg Lehman, I think he was saying it like 15, 20 years ago, let's work with runners and not work with different, type, or different types of runner as opposed to different types of running injury. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds simple, and, uh, but it, that's a, that makes a massive difference to a lot of therapists and a lot of runners' expectations. The days of jumping on a couch and lying back or someone does something to you to fix you, no, we're not cars. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know? I think it's okay to, to use the, the word education because a lot of times when I'm doing online consults, I have, I have people uh, fill out forms beforehand and a lot of it is, what do you want to get out of today's session? And they're saying, like, I just want to know more about this injury. I want to know what I can do. I want to be educated like they're, 
that's a lot of what they've come for, especially if it's an online consult. They're not looking for a massage. They're not looking for dry needling. They're looking for answers. They're looking for how they can deal with it themselves. They're looking for what will make it better, what will make it worse. And so, um, yeah, sometimes the education language might go in the other direction. It's kind of like you're teaching something to someone rather than them just being informed. It's, um, it's just a different way to reframe it. But, um, yeah, it can be extremely powerful. I think so. Um, Basomi, Manuela's study, she showed that more experienced elite runners are happy now to use words like education. And they understand now that when they seek the service of a professional, there's going to be a, a certain, I'm going to listen to you and understand it. But recreational runners, at least in her study, are very much still jump on the couch, fix me sort of thing. This is why I go and see a therapist. Um, and it's the recreational runners, I think, who are filling, you know, the, the injury um, statistics and some people will say oh the reason why incidence of injury hasn't come down is because more and more less fit people are going into running which is a cool thing kind of more people are embarking on it now than they would have done in the past but I still think that with all the technology and the claims and the promises and the shoes and the videos and the way to run and the part of the foot to land on if that was all making a difference then we would have far fewer incidents of running injuries. Yeah. I mean, the great. studies show it's it's quite shocking, really. When you look at the studies um, since the 80s, we're looking at more or less, depending on the study, and it depends what you classify as a running injury, but between three and 60 injuries every thousand hours of running. So to break that down, if you put take that halfway, let's imagine it's 30 injuries every thousand hours. That means three injuries every hundred hours. So basically, if you run five hours a week, that's three injuries every 20 weeks, which sucks. If you had any other sport where every kind of like 20 weeks you were getting three injuries, which were keeping off running, you'd go, right, something's up here. But runners kind of put up with it. They'll go and see somebody or they'll kind of just live in a life of, of, of unsuccessful uh, physical activity. But for me, regardless of the lower level fitness of people starting running, that's, that needs to change. And the fact that it hasn't with all the shoes and the promises, then, then something's not being done right. And that's why I try and discover and help with. Yeah. And just like zooming back out, like away from the health professional topic and back to the, why is it so hard to run pain-free? It's like, I always say one, number one is to be educated, be educated on the right information, up-to-date information. But two is to execute on that. Like it's to, to learn about, training overload is to learn about your adaptation zone, not exceeding your adaptation zone, not doing too much of an abrupt change too soon, allow your body time to adapt, but they can learn all that and they still get injured. Like this, it's something to do with the execution part of it, or it's something to do with the mindset of the runner, whether they're too motivated, too internally driven to, um, I don't know, desperate to go out to run because it's their mental release. Uh, do you see it's, do you see a connection between like the runner's mindset? Is that potentially one of the reasons why it's so hard to continue running and have a good longevity, a good you know career in running without being injured? Yeah, I think the, the mindset is, again, something which is influenced a lot by social media, by things like Strava. It's all about putting your PB on. There's a lot of competition with other people. No one celebrates. No one puts a Facebook post saying, I had a really easy recovery run today. It's really simple. I could talk all the way through. No one does that. Only every, uh, People only post, I got a PB or I did this. Um, you know, I had a really hard run today. It was a really tough session. Here's a photo of me running really hard. When really, if we look at kind of what runners should be doing in the sense that up to 80% of the workout should be nothing to shout about, nothing to be. If you really want to set yourself a challenge, then I say this to a lot of runners I work with, challenge yourself. Every run, you need to challenge yourself to something. And that challenge for 70% of your workouts will be not to open up that tank, to keep it nice and easy, to feel for that run, I could open up here and do more. And if runners get their head around that, that actually 70% of the time, they should be feeling I'm holding back, then that would change a lot of things. And even post about it, really successful, um, easy run today. Can't wait until my you know interval sessions on Thursday when I can really let go. I'm gonna have loads of energy for that. Mm. So I think that like things like Strava, unfortunately, it's very competitive. All the Facebook groups, 
Um, you either full of runners saying how hard they've worked or runners who are injured and, and getting support from each other. And that perpetuates the whole injury cycle as well. When you've got this, it sounds really nice to have people supporting you and giving you advice, but that's a big problem as well. The community aspect. It's yeah. almost as if running is so easy to do as well. That's why it stands out from other sports. It's it's you haven't got to wait for anybody to book a court. You haven't got to wait for your team members. You haven't really got to uh, wait for any complicated gear. You just basically stick on your shoes and out the door. And it's a massive release. It's beautiful running. It's a, it's a direct endorphin hit. It is an addiction, um, which is why maybe more than any other sport, it needs to be handled carefully and responsibly. Um, and that explains for part of the injury instance as well. Yeah. Um, I think like when it comes to training habits and people running slow and really going easy on those recovery runs, like how often would someone go out for a run and not record it and not put it on Strava and just follow how you feel? I don't think there's certain runners that just wouldn't even think of that. Or if they get their splits uh, and they're looking at how fast that last K was, how many times do they see their split and say, oh, I should slow down because I'm going too fast rather than, oh, I'm feeling good. Let me see if I can push this next K. You know, it's um, just a mindset or a just a change in how you should approach it, you know, especially when it's your recovery run, say, I'm going to follow this pace. If I, if I'm ticking over, if I'm feeling a certain way, let me pull back and just put the reins on yourself so that you feel like by the end of the run, you can run for another two hours. How often do people finish a run with that sensation? It's um, I think it's rare. And when you're talking about the nature of running as a sport, one of the reasons I think runners get injured or a factor why runners get so injured is because running is one that just doesn't really have a ceiling. There's no, um, the siren doesn't sound after an hour and a half, like a normal sport. And once someone completes a 10 K, they automatically just want to do a half marathon. Then they want to do a marathon. Then they want to do an ultra. Then they want to do an ultra under a certain time, or they want to break their marathon PB. It's like this, they just keep pushing from one PB to the next and it's, there's no ceiling. And when we talk about runners, getting injured because there's an overuse it's an overuse injury it's you just keep pushing yourself until it gets overused because there's either your recovery isn't adequate for the amount of output that you're putting in um or you just not you just haven't built up that adaptation like quickly enough and you start breaking down rather than building up it's almost going to be a matter of time because people just keep pushing themselves. They keep wanting a goal. They keep striving for bigger and better things. And runners are always those self-motivated, self-driven, always pushing for another goal type of people. And running is the perfect sport to sort of develop an overuse injury, you could say. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, it's, it's, I wonder how many, how much of runners obsessive behavior is actually because they want to do it. I always picture sometimes runners thinking, I know I shouldn't go out today, but I've just gone into this Facebook community group with 12,000 people and everyone's going, <laughs> no one ever complained and said, I didn't enjoy that run. And pain is just weakness leaving the body. And all of the memes out there, I think incite runners maybe to do stuff which their body inside is actually saying, no, don't go out, have a rest, put your feet up. I think runners get confused. And often I've seen when people have been training for a race or something and and they can't do it, particularly marathons. When they come and see me, we reach that point where I said, you know what? It's in two weeks' time. We've had a go. It's not going to happen. There's almost that relief, and the shoulders go down. It's like, you mean I haven't got to do this? And they're like, nah, not this time. Don't worry about it. And it's almost like, oh, thank you. I've, I've got permission now that I don't have to put mm. my body through this. And again, it's tricky because a lot of people get into running and they and they enjoy it because of the community and the bonding. But like any drug, if you want to get off a drug, you need to stop surrounding yourself by people who are kind of making you take that drug. It's the number one rule I've heard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's there is a problem with that, the whole community thing. And then also, again, looking at the drug thing, when you can't run, the withdrawals are horrible because suddenly you've lost your whole identity. You've lost um, you're not part of the support group anymore. Um, and it's being shown, it's almost like mourning. You've lost a massive chunk of your life. So that makes it even more difficult. It's um, it's tricky. There's, a, there's probably more questions than answers. Mm. I want to feel like I need to give some answers now. <laughs> I think identity is a big one. I, I think the topic itself is just worth self-reflecting on rather than answers. It's worth 
people looking back on their training habits or their beliefs or um, certain, yeah, their certain thoughts, but identity is a huge one. I think habit is also a big one. If you've ran, if you run every day or even just a little bit when you're not running or when you're injured and can't run, it's just this, this big buildup and people get frustrated. They get angry. They just want to run or they do run and make things worse. It's they get caught in this really, they get stuck in this really difficult position to get out of. Um, so yeah, they put themselves in a really awkward situation, but I've got a question that might produce some answers. Um, you say that back in, oh, you know, your, your long career, how much things have changed and how education has changed and how the way you conduct things, you sort of mentioned a little bit about pronation. You sort of mentioned a little bit about stretching. Is there any other major real radical shifts that you've had since the start of your career that you're now an advocate of, or you've now shifted your focus towards when it comes to, I say, educating runners or uh, any sort of, yeah, any, any radical shifts? Uh, it's more about now. I think so little has really changed in terms of what runners need to be doing. We know that, for example, spending too much time stretching is probably a misplacement of, of energy. Potentially some papers will show that stretching could reduce that kind of springiness you need to kind of be a pogo stick rather than kind of this big floppy slinky. It doesn't make sense. Um, that hasn't changed. That's been around. Studies have been saying that since 2000. So, and also other things like um, strength work. I mean, strength work in terms of performance has, has had a clear connection for 20, 30 years. So where I am now in my career, it's really a case of looking at, we have the answers. It's just the answers aren't getting through. Um, and it's like I say, more about this education. It's about breaking down the barriers of communication between therapists and runners um, and the problems. We've known about shoes for ages as well. When you look at the studies and they've gone back to 2000 plus as well. I mean, Ben O'Neill, for example, Dr. Ben O'Neill was talking about questioning pronation back in like the early nineties. So it's a case of the information isn't getting down to runners um, and also some therapists. I mean, one of the things I, I kind of work on quite a lot now is gait analysis has changed quite a lot. Um, I started gate analysis quite a few years ago. It was one of the first companies with Stride UK where I am on the South coast of the UK and then shops started doing it. And I spent so much time kind of just slagging off shops and kind of criticizing them and their obsession with overpronation and stuff. But now I realize that with gate analysis, there's an awful lot which can be, it can be helpful, especially when you've got a runner in pain so just tweaking running form so they can continue running without being in pain is something I do a lot of now. Um, having a runner use gait analysis for anything else, like if a runner says, I want to perform better, can you look at the way I run? I think that's a really dodgy, tricky area. Gait analysis has probably moved further away from my foundation of, of helping that runner than it was before. Um, it really is now being more, I mean, I'm a coach as well. So I think, these days to really help a runner you've either got to have more of a network where you have got a running coach at hand you have got strength and conditioning coach at hand or you need these skills yourself and get certified in them because when that individual comes to you it could be so many different factors now you know a lot of the time you may be referring off to some kind of mental health support that's a big one now in these days where mental health is becoming more of an issue um uh pelvic health is another thing which a lot of it's being talked about a lot more and, and i find myself referring off to male or female pelvic health uh, practitioners because when you answer the right questions or when you ask the right questions this disease in the person could be coming down to some kind of pelvic health issue which they haven't been talking about um there's a lot of conditions now which which are affecting a person's state and causing that lack of recovery um, are causing the person even not to reach their full running potential. Um, and it's not that ligament in the knee or it's not the particular state of the tendon. It's something else. It's something bigger. Um, so, yeah, I think one, just working more with the person in front of me, asking more and more questions and two, just helping um, therapists realize that just move away from this traditional structural thing. 
Um, you've got to, you've got to talk more to the person uh, rather than just focusing again on that knee or ankle. I do think the traditional focus, like a lot, like a lot of the misguided attention is like easy. It's kind of like, it makes sense. Like the pronation stuff, the stretching stuff, um, all that, all those information that people think is working, it makes intuitive sense. It makes intuitive sense that stretching might help with recovery because it feels good and you feel better afterwards for a couple of minutes. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's easy to sell. Like orthotics are very easy to sell if you have the right marketing tools and the right visuals. And you look at someone walking on a, a gate scan and then you see like the, the amount of pronation they have it looks shocking. It looks like you're falling out of alignment. And then that language that they use is easy to buy into that. And people get really sold because of the language that's used and what they're visually seeing. And so it's a belief that they create because it's so easy. It makes a lot of sense and it's um, easily sold. It's perhaps shocking and they need the answers. And it seems like the right shoes or the right orthotics or the right treatment like manual therapy can be the answer and so i guess that's why it's so common i guess it's why it's um and a lot of the times it works like a lot of times like a massage will help people a lot of times orthotics will help people um and so it's really really hard to convince someone otherwise when it's really helped them in the past um but where say we're stretching where i where i sit on that is I say stretch, like stretch if you like stretching, stretch if you want to stretch, um, but just try not to convince yourself of what it's actually doing. And like you, you said it perfectly when you were talking about the the miss the your misguided like attention, you're, you're drawing attention to other factors. And a lot of people think they stretch to reduce their risk of injury. And that's where I kind of step in and say, if you think that your stretching is reducing your risk of injury, and you're injured and you say, yeah, I'm injured because I don't stretch enough. Like your attention is just going to there and you've left this, um, the potential cause of what might be your injury. Maybe it's your training philosophy. Maybe it's all these training errors, but they're not focusing on that attention because they think it's the stretching. It's because they think they don't stretch enough. And if they haven't been stretching in the past, they're not going to start stretching. They're just going to keep blaming the non-stretching for getting injured. Um, so if people say, should I stretch or not stretch? I say, if it feels good for them, stretch, but let's not convince ourselves of what it's actually achieving. Um, so I think that, that kind of lands true for me for like, you know, just not being like totally pessimistic and like, you know, shunning stretching because I think there are some good benefits to stretching, but yeah, it's just trying to frame it in the right way that it can get the message across in the same time. Yeah, definitely. It is the misplacement of of time which bothers me about stretching. And Greg Lehman seems to be on a mission to kind of convince me that I'm wrong with that. But I just, I do believe that it's responsible. So many runners put so much faith into it, thinking it's going to make them less sore. It's going to reduce injury. Um, it's going to maybe even help their performance at the beginning. But I think it's something so easy to dismiss so quickly, especially when you get the runner to reach that conclusion for themselves. Like, for example, the, the, the amount of runners I get who straight away they'll come in and they'll they'll self-diagnose. They'll say, oh, pain in my hamstring. I know what it is. I've got really tight hamstrings. And I've said this before and, and I bore myself to death saying it, but it's just a nice example where I'll, for example, tell them to pick up a weight from the floor and they'll reach down and pick it up. And they haven't even bent their legs. They're practically touching their toes. And I'll say, oh, cool. Could you just pick that one up now? And they'll do it again. And I'll make them do it until they look at me from the floor and go, I know what you're doing here. I haven't got tight hamstrings, have I? And I'm like, bingo okay so what's that mean and eventually they'll go all right so if i've got tight hamstrings the cause of my pain isn't that they're tight exactly so what do you think the cause of the pain is and I, I like this kind of as an educational way of doing it it's the same way as you teach anybody of any age you let them reach the conclusion themselves because that's got a far more deep-rooted kind of corrective thing in their mind and their brain so the same thing can be applied to awful lots of things like how many runners come and see us. And when we talk through, okay, how much have you trained this week? Have you made any big changes? Well, yeah, it was sunny. So I've trained every day this week. Okay. How many days do you normally train? Oh, actually the last few months, it's been kind of once a week. Okay. So what do you think is the issue here? And how many times they look at you and go sheepishly? Oh yeah. I've suddenly done seven days running in a row, haven't I? That's a bit of a shock for my body. Bam. So the, the alternative stuff is easy to sell, but if the right questions are, are planted and runners start analysing what they're doing a little bit, why are runners so 
keen on trying to touch their toes when in i've never i've seen an awful lot of people on gait analysis and running i've never seen anybody during a, a run touching their toes or even getting close to it so even something as simple as that which sounds very sarcastic but why how do runners think getting into a swan pose getting to some of these yoga moves is going to actually help them physically during running so the benefits mm. of stretching in terms of relaxing and moving um, is is great and and i think most yoga i'm not having a go at yoga by the way yoga is fantastic for encouraging the body uh, to become mobile and embrace different movements and variety but when most runners are just trying to find that stretch point and beat it for the sake of it regardless of whether they're going to use that range that's that's quite an easy thing to take away from runners and and in fact again then you go on with the evidence that more flexible runners actually perform worse there's studies which will show that it's particularly in the elites when you do a sit and reach test trying to touch your toes that the faster runners the more economical runners who cover um 5k i think they used in the test cover that 5k faster are the ones who perform worse in the flexibility tests so i do go on about stretching but it's kind of like i think it's a useful way to show runners that a lot of what they're told and see isn't quite right and it kind of makes sense that it's not right so do yeah. it if you want but like you say question everything you do a little bit don't believe everything you read or that you've traditionally done is does what you think it does yeah i think having an open mind is a good way to approach anything um i wanted to reframe a bit of the topic a little bit because we've got why is it so hard to run pain-free uh <laughs> injury prevention aside like if someone is injured if someone has an injury you and I both know that there are certain types of injuries or certain types of runners that have faced an injury that goes on for several weeks, several months, several years, and they find it really hard to just return to that pain-free running. Um, still following the same topic, why do you think that it's so hard for some runners to to achieve that pain-free running, trying to overcome a certain injury? It's I guess we've talked about a lot of the we might repeat ourselves a little bit when we reframe the question, but what's, what do you reckon we should start with, with this topic? I think it's useful to, to look at what recovery is as opposed to tissue healing to recover fully, then you're not just addressing the tissue. So kind of people recover. So I think that's useful. A lot of runners will think that just because they can open and close their knee um, without the pain they were feeling before, then they're ready to go straight back into running. So I think not having complete rehabilitation to stimulate full recovery is important. And I like to kind of encourage runners to look at it like a ladder. So if you're at the bottom of the ladder, when you come in and you, maybe you can't even stand on one leg because your ankle's really painful or something, or maybe you can't walk on tiptoe. What we're going to do is we're going to work our way up the ladder. I think what happens is people will get halfway up the ladder when they can walk on tiptoe, or, or maybe they can open and close their leg, or maybe they can, um, do a squat or something. And then they think, well, that's it now. Let's go for a run. But because they're only halfway up the ladder, what they haven't done is they haven't kind of developed um, the, the maybe the explosive power, the reactive power, the loads they're going to experience when they're running. And most importantly, they haven't realized that towards the end of the, uh, the ladder, running needs to become part of that rehab. They go straight back into where they picked up before but in a lot of cases, not all of them, but in a lot of cases, your rehab now is going to be, let's get back into running. And it's going to take maybe two or three, four weeks until you get back to how you're running before. So we're looking at maybe some walk runs. We're looking at changing our previous intensity and duration drastically to get your body used to accepting the, 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 the fact that it's running now. And sometimes a bit of education over the nervous system and the fact that your brain knows when you're running, your brain's really clever. That's why it's a brain and pain's very context based. So maybe when you are in a clinic, jumping up and down on a mat or hopping up and down, everything feels fine. But that's because your brain has got this kind of neuro tag, we call it, where it associates the actual act of running with pain. And that's what triggers it. So the moment you're upright with one arm forwards and the other knee forwards and then swapping them over and traveling and you've got the air against you, that's when the brain actually starts going, you're running again. And the brain's job is to protect you. So unless you ease yourself, your rehab, you complete that final elevation up the ladder to ease your nervous system and prepare yourself to actually run without 
your brain feeling kind of threatened, then that's, I think, why a lot of runners get back into it. And within a month or even sometimes within a week, the pains come back again and they're confused. They think, I thought I was better. And maybe the tissue was better, but they haven't actually recovered. Does that make sense? So much to unpack there. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, uh, I had, I read Greg Lehman's um, article around using running as your rehab a couple of days ago. And I think I might tee up an interview with him to um, actually go through that blog in a bit more detail. The So you're initially talking about, so say the bridge between where they currently are with their injury and where they need to be with running. And I think a lot mm. of them misunderstand that it's really tough. Like you need to be strong to run. It's like the amount of forces, the amount of load that goes through your body every step and the amount of repetitions, if especially if it's say like on a hard surface or like, you know, based on terrain, if you're going uphill, if you're going downhill, especially downhill, the like the amount of thud that goes through your body, the amount of shock is tremendous. And so trying to get the body to be ready for that is very tricky just to do with some squats. It's very tricky just to do with some strength and conditioning. And so you can increase the capacity in your, your tendons and your ligaments like so much, but you do need to make sure that running can, needs to be a part of the rehab. You need to start with slow jogs. You need to start with walk runs. You need to start with real slow, gradual buildups. Um, but what you also mentioned was like the psychological component of it and those like neuro tags, like you say, a lot of, especially if someone hasn't been running for several months or several years and they want to get back to running, they've got this, a lot of them have this fear. A lot of them have this real lack of confidence. They just don't think that they can get back to running. And as soon as they start running, exactly what you're saying, the brain's going to be like, what are you doing? We shouldn't be running. Last time you ran, you had pain. Last time you ran, you got this knee pain that was sore for three weeks. What are you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to yourself again? And that plays that those thoughts play a lot of um, real psychological, physiological components when it comes to masquerading pain. And so the pain will come back. So I think it's really important when you're talking about the very gradual process, because not only are you physiologically building up the load and adapting to the loads on the body, but you're also developing confidence, the psychological component at the exact same time. And so slowly getting there and slowly building up helps the physiological and the psychological components at the same time. Um, which is really insightful. It's really good. And hopefully someone can see a gap that they might be doing. They might be doing their deadlifts really heavy. They might be doing maybe a little bit of skipping and then they go to run 5Ks and then they um, the symptoms come back. Maybe they've realized that pattern in the past and realized it just needs that gap, that jump that they're trying to get to has just been too great. And they need to start working up that ladder. You need to identify all the rungs within that ladder and yeah, work your way up. Really insightful there. I really like that. Do you say, do you think that um, there are components within their strength and conditioning that they're not addressing? Do you think that they are they get their deadlifts, they get their squats, they get their calf raises, and they slowly build up their resistance, and then they try and run? Is there somewhere in that strength and conditioning? Is there a component that they might be missing? It's tricky. I mean, the true answers we don't know. Um, because we, 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 we've shown that studies have shown that you can get stronger in certain muscles and therapists will tell you, oh, it's your glutes that aren't working. You need to strengthen your glute med on the hips. So, and then we show that when you get back to running that you're, you're still in pain and, and maybe you're not even using that strength, which you developed. So I, I think it's more a case of, I like doing the strength exercises because I think it builds the confidence as well. It depends on what sort of person you are and you might not even know what sort of person you are. That's the job of the therapist in front of you to help. Sometimes there's a subconscious fear, which you don't even know about, but the therapist will spot it by the way you're avoiding a certain movement. Um, so it's not like a kind of like man up sort of thing. It's the body's really, I mean, our body is designed our brain and nervous system to defend us. It's normal. That's why we limp. It's why we feel fatigue. All of these things are outputs from the brain to protect us. And it's not a battle of us against that so much. It's more a case of kind of working with it and understanding it. And, but I think it's, it's for a lot of runners, it's concentrating on, like we say, having that running as rehab, which, yeah, I, I saw you posted that article and Greg's written about that for a long time. Um, and it's understanding what sort of a person you are. Are you the sort of person 
Greg compares it to poking the bear, which I, I know you're kind of familiar with. Some runners are scared to actually poke the bear. Um, they're scared to actually push themselves hard enough to replicate the demands you've mentioned of running. And they need to be encouraged to actually poke that bear a little bit harder in order to get that pain bear to shift and get out of the way. But other ones, as, as Greg would put it, uh, are too keen to kind of just, well, I won't say what he says because this is probably a PG show, but they're just doing too much. They're kind of slapping the bear around the face. That's the version, the British version I use. <laughs> um, and they're just thumping the bear in the face. And then they're surprised why the body is reacting and they're still feeling the pain. So a lot of it is working out what sort of person you are and seeing whether you're avoiding stuff or whether you're just overdoing it and hitting that Goldilocks zone, hitting that sweet point where you're pushing the body enough to adapt, but not too much that you're just going to kind of bring up that kind of threatened behavior reaction again, where pain starts being output. I think it's interesting as well to runners realize that it's not a case of the psychological elements and the physical elements. It's all the same thing. Strength comes from the brain. If the brain doesn't feel confident in sending out that message down the neuron, then you're not going to have strength. Okay. And if the brain feels that you're, you're not able to do what you want it to do based on the information it's getting it, you'll get fatigued. You'll get tired out. You know, this is why sometimes our body just doesn't react like we think it should be. And we have different runs because we don't even know why it happened. It could be something we're worrying about. It could be something we've read, anything. And our brain is in charge. Um, and obviously we are our brain, so we can't separate it. But that it's all the same system. Our strength, our fatigue, pain is all part of the nervous system. If you chop our head off, we wouldn't obviously wouldn't be going anywhere, but we obviously wouldn't feel any fatigue or pain or anything either. Yeah. I'm glad that you talk about that as well, because next week I'm interviewing a, a pain psychologist and you're talking about how closely linked or how important it is for your mind, how important it is for like pain signals, how thoughts, emotions, like being ready, being confident is so crucial when it comes to recovery and having the goal of running pain-free. It's good that you link that because when we start delving into pain science and start delving into thoughts, emotions, um, influence biological pain signals and amplify certain pain signals. It, it's all, it's all linked. So I'm glad that like several different episodes, several different topics are all interlinked and kind of interwoven in that way. Um, Matt, as we finish up, as we come to a close, is there anything that we might not have covered anything that you maybe want to um, advise the, the audience on when it comes to trying to run pain-free or trying to keep running pain-free? I think if I could help, it depends on the person listening, but I, there's been a big, and I understand that why, but there's been a big kind of break between runners confidence in professionals. I think runners are tired. They feel like they're just being used as a commodity to make money because a lot of the things they've been told by professionals hasn't worked. It's not just the professionals work. The professionals have good intention, but I'd like to kind of restore that faith. Because runners, you do need help from the professionals. You do need help from science. You need people who are informed. Um, that's been broken a lot on a larger scale with our distrust in politicians, COVID-19, everything's polar now. So I'd encourage runners to seek help from therapists but because they've got an awful lot they can help you with. We know an awful lot, although it sounds like, especially we've been talking today, that there's a lot we don't know. There's an awful lot we do know how to be less wrong. So get help from a therapist, go and see a physical therapist, but just make sure that they are evidence informed. Um, look out for some of the things maybe we've talked about. If they're just having you pop up on a couch and they're clicking you and saying you're fixed now, you're aligned, then that's a red flag. Okay, you, they need to be having a conversation about you, asking about your sleep, your nutrition, asking you maybe questions which are a bit uncomfortable. Um, because with that information, by listening to you enough, and actually talking to and using their ears instead of their hands, they can help you. And that could be the solution to maybe 10 years of, of pain that stopped you from reaching a potential in running. So that's that's the probably the main thing. Just restore some faith, work with these people, but just make sure the people you're working with are actually evidence-informed. Look at the stuff um, Brody puts out and check that these people you're seeing are on the same page. Or even try and get references. Once My, my, my idea is get a go-to person who you like, it could even be Brody if you're in, in that area. And then when you need to see someone, just talk to that person. If they can't help you personally, they'll be networked with someone who can. These days, the, the, the beauty of in social uh, media is if someone says to me, I, I do an online consultation with someone in Arizona or something. Okay. And they say, I need to go and see someone for this. Right. Hold on. 
bam, I go to a group. Um, anyone in Arizona who could help this guy? Blah, 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 and bam, up comes an answer, a therapist. So you find one professional you trust and then use them to be referred out to see someone. Mm. Um, I think that could help a lot of people. Absolutely. And like, uh, I'm not sure about you. I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes, but we're always happy to someone to reach out and say, Hey, I saw this health professional. Um, I have this knee pain. They said this, they want me to do this and they did this for treatment. Um, what do you think? And we're more than happy just to lay some advice and say, yep, sounds like you're on the right track or maybe you should ask this question. Maybe you should, um, you know, reframe in a certain way uh, just so that to give confidence to yourself as well, because I know that a runner hasn't had the training, hasn't had the, the insights, hasn't read the research that they might not, be too sure but they know who to ask and so i think that's a a really good message as well yeah definitely yeah that's good um you said that like this interview would be really good timing because you're actually launching a a runner's guide as well do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah just part of my attempt to reach runners more i'm kind of experimenting with different ways so um on my website i've done well it started off as a little 12 minute um just going through the different subjects there's I think in the end there's, I'm still actually doing them, recording them, but the idea is going to be 20 little 12 minute videos. I think I've done about 15 and I've tried to make them in a nice, easy, um, interesting way. So the runners can get the most important information about shoes, about strength training, about warming up, cooling down, um, understanding pain, that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I put them on the website um, they're little small chunks with the idea of not boring the hell of people. There's a little bit of a reference to papers on there in case you're interested in where the information comes from. Um, but I, I, I look back at them and actually I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who um, wants, you know, isn't that up to date and they just wanted something easy to listen to and not feel that they're being made to feel stupid or anything. And then also, as a, I mean, I put the, it is a premium thing, but the first five of them, of open access just go to runchatlive.com and you can see what they're like the first five which basically set the scene anyway to dispel a few misconceptions but then also on youtube even i've i had some feedback and even 12 minutes for some people wasn't what they wanted so hmm. i've actually made the other day i filmed 17 one minute videos i said do it in a minute do an elevator pitch so um experimenting with them as well so on youtube at runchat live there's actually now 17 one minute videos with a little countdown just to say the most important information and raise a few ideas about the integral parts where I think maybe which could help runners again, strength training shoes and understanding pain a little bit and that. So that's my latest kind of little project. Um, and yeah, they're all available either on the YouTube or go to runchatlive.com. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about it. And also I'm, I'm working a lot. There's a, there's a runner day company I'm working with who I've always had a bit of fear about these run kind of these run every day for a month kind of things, because that's a sure way to suddenly do something your body's not used to. But these people are actually very much into, you don't have to run every day. It's called run a day, but it's about getting out every day and maybe doing a walk, doing a walk run. So adjusting it, you get out and choose a distance. I think that's really healthy because there is an awful lot of benefit to getting out. And we've talked about it today and it can help people's mental health enormously. But as we've also mentioned, you haven't got to run your heart out every day you could benefit far more from just turning that 1K or 5K into a walk or a jog walk, you know, or walk with a friend. Um, You'll still get the benefits of that mental health, probably even more if some days you're taking it easy. So you haven't got to throw it all away, still get out, breathe, smell the flowers, but don't think that every day's a race. Yeah. Great. And as always, I'll include the links in the show notes, runchatlive.com. And um, I'll put the YouTube obviously up there, podcast definitely i think everyone who has everyone who comes to me and says love the podcast do you have any other recommendations i always recommend yours and there's a large back catalog there maybe people see the same guests that i might have had on in the past you want to listen to them talk more um but it's very informative always um up to date and it's where i've got a lot of my learning from as well um which takes us to the end i want to actually thank you because like i said i've been following your stuff for years and i have been you know downloading or purchasing all of the online conferences I've been purchasing, like while listening to all the podcast episodes and you've really had a tremendous impact on my learning as well. So thanks a lot. And thanks for coming on and sharing the knowledge. That's really cool, mate. I mean, I've done the same thing to other people. So I think it's, it's, it's lovely to see it makes, I'm sure it'll make your work 
feel more worthwhile as well when you see other therapists and other runners benefiting from it and doing their thing and you're doing great work as well um i love i followed you from the very beginning and seen how you you're doing exactly what people need to do you're putting out this information which i've just grabbed from other people and my older than me or around me and you but you're putting it out in a really nice format to reach runners which is the most important thing so well under you too Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.